Well, the wheel turns no longer. Ollie's wheel. <laughs> Ollie is no longer at the wheel. Last week, I said surely Manchester United couldn't lose to Watford. Not only did they lose, they conceded four goals. Their captain was sent off and their coach was duly removed afterwards. Welcome back to the EPL show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm Nick Hughes and together with Josh Parrish, we will unpack all of the Manchester United, uh, well, fun or, or not fun, can, uh, depending on which side of the coin you sit, uh, as displayed by my attire for the evening. Oh, I, you're I'm, really rubbing I'm rather today. on one coin and, uh, and Josh is on the other side. Tell me, if Watford are the Hornets, why have they got a moose on their logo? It's a, it's a good question. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> Uh, but the Watford Mooses. I yeah. just forgot the plural for moose. Uh, the meese? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess it has to be just moose. Yeah. The Watford moose. The Watford moose. Well, Mice. The, uh, and the, the, <laughs> the mascot is the, the hornet as well. It uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't altogether all make a great deal of sense. But Neither does Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer's reign at Old Trafford. Not at all. Uh, Josh, I think uh, from, a, from a Manchester United fan's point of view, I think the, uh, the loss... Uh, while no one ever really wants to lose, I think this is probably maybe the most joyous loss of uh, of any team's uh, you know fandom this weekend. Sorry, Lockie was just confirming in my ear that the plural of moose is indeed moose. Ah, fantastic! <laughs> thank thank you, Lockie. Um, I was uh, well, I was nattering on about how Man United fans. Uh, wouldn't have wanted to lose 4-1 to Watford, but given what happened after mm. it, it may, could possibly be uh, the, the, the most joyous of defeats that Manchester United have ever had. I wish I had that little uh, little piece of audio here. He got the job on a technicality <laughs> from a legend who recommended oh, him. Oh, Andy Tate. <laughs> Can we bring back Andy Tate, please? <laughs> oh, he was made for occasions such as this. <laughs> it was genuinely a disgrace. Like, I, I know that's thrown about a lot, in football circles, particularly English football circles, where they tend to get a little carried away each week on talk sport. But this was genuinely one of the most shambolic performances I've ever seen from a quote-unquote big club. Most of the high-profile big score lines in recent seasons have been against the top clubs. But I guess this is on par with Liverpool's annihilation at the hands of Aston Villa, the 7-2. <laughs> Just from where Watford are in the table and their expectations this season, I mean, they're, they're relegation battlers. Yes, they've started the season pretty well, but it's a newly promoted side to be picked apart in that manner. I mean, at least when Manchester United were running around like headless chooks not knowing what to do, they were, run, they were running around. That was marginally preferable to the limp, listless display uh, at Vicarage Road on the weekend. And Harry Maguire's red card was just the cherry on the cake. Look... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign lasted too long. He's at Manchester United, the longest serving ever manager to not win a trophy. Wow. And only three managers have won the league uh, in Manchester United's history. Very true. Which is, <laughs> you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, Sir Matt Busby and some bloke in 1907 that nobody <laughs> remembers the name of. Um, but including me, apparently. <laughs> uh, but, you know, still, at least yeah. uh, Louis van Gaal won an FA Cup. At least Jose Mourinho won a Europa League and a League Cup. Ollie's won nothing, and he's had so many second chances. Second chances, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. Just because he's a club legend doesn't mean, you know, he he has a divine right to continue in the job. 
and his media mates uh, have really prolonged this. I think, mm. uh, honestly, the club is really uh, susceptible to the outside conversation that happens and, and the noise. And the likes of Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand have, I think, a lot to answer for in their part to play saying, you know, we'll never ask to sack a manager because they, they can't bring themselves to turn on their mate. It, it's yeah. over. Well, Rio, it, it was over a long time ago. Rio Ferdinand, of course, did the uh, the famous or infamous, um, you know, whack Manchester the contract United. on the table. A back. Ollie's at the wheel, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's, I mean, that that in itself you feel like is a real sliding doors moment, that PSG tie where it was uh, – was it 2-0 two, two defeat uh, in the home leg and then uh, a 3-1 win away from home uh, was you know a, a fantastic comeback win obviously Marcus Rashford scoring the the late penalty and you you almost feel like looking back at it now that there was an element of you know that alone almost bought Ollie a lot of the the time that he had there were so many moments where you know if I mean, you know, Chelsea acted very quickly on Frank Lampard. Um, if if Liverpool, you feel, had been in, in similar situations, you feel like they would have moved uh, on, on their manager. You know, a 6-1 defeat to Tottenham last year. Uh, a really, I mean, they, they still end up, uh, was it second, I think, in the league last year, but a poor finish to the season. The Liverpool result, really, I, I'm, I'm still and will forever remain staggered how he survived after losing 5-0 at home to Liverpool, you know, regardless of the 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 gap between the two mm. teams now, Manchester United cannot lose five nil at home to Liverpool. That that for me uh, would be unforgivable. And you know, there was there was no way he was he was staying after a a four one defeat to Manchester United. And I think you can only uh, look back and and have a little bit of a chuckle when you look at the uh, the final scorer of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign, Donny Van der Beek. I think it was on the national curriculum on Sunday that Ante compared it to the, you know, the meme of uh, I turned up at my haters' funeral just to make sure yeah, it was dead. That was that was going around on Twitter. <laughs> they uh, they photoshopped uh, Donny's uh, Donny's head onto onto that gentleman. Uh, look, Van der Beek's treatment at Old Trafford has has summed up the disconnect of that club between, you know, what, between the recruitment and the management and the total lack of understanding about. What makes these players good? They're good at signing um, good talents for large sums of money, uh, but they don't seem to know why they're signing them. There's, mm. This is what happens when you have a bunch of bankers in charge of the, you know, who are the sporting directors. And uh, essentially it comes down to Joel Glazer, whether Ollie stays or leaves, which, I mean, shouldn't be the case. I, having ownership play that active a role, I think, is a mistake. I think it should be outsourced to someone who knows what they're doing. Mm. And Manchester United haven't had clear direction from board level or from, uh, you know, uh, front office level in quite a long time. Uh, but Van der Beek, what made him so good at, at Ajax was his ability to play ahead of the ball and move teams around, essentially. He's, he ghosted into the box unmarked or dragged players out of the way for Frankie de Jong to get himself into one-on-one situations and dribble past people. Basically, he alleviates pressure on the base of your midfield. Can he work as an eight or a six? Maybe. Um, but that's a square peg in a round hole. And signing him when Bruno Fernandes is unquestionably mm. your starting 10 is a bit confusing to me. 
Um, you know, Edwin van der Sar penned this open letter, you know, took out a whole page of a newspaper to say you've got a gem, treat him well. And it's been quite the opposite. Mm. Van der Beek's continual sidelining at Manchester United. And the pattern has sort of continued with Jaden Sancho. You know, he's a player who plays well in combinations. He's not a 1v1, you know, isolate on the wing and, and from a standing side start, take somebody on and dribble past them. He's a player who does well in, in constructed moves and pattern play when he's got players around him to bounce passes off. And at United, you know, it's just been giving the ball, you know, you're the expensive new signing, you figure it out. No overlapping fullback to take a player away yeah. from him. Uh, no centre forward to play the ball into the feet of. Just uh, 1v1 stuff. And United were bailed out so many times by star players like Bruno Fernandes, like Pogba, like Ronaldo of late, doing fantastic individual things to save them in desperate circumstances, to bail them out. And that doesn't speak well of a manager uh, if you're just relying on individual brilliance to save your bacon time and time again. And that's not mm. sustainable for a modern football team. It's it's interesting, the the recruitment conversation. You know, last week we were, were talking a little bit about Chelsea and, and Frank Lampard's reign and how he didn't really want to sign uh, you know, Timo Werner and, and some of the other players that Chelsea brought in and... That the Donny van der Beek one was, uh, I remember when, when he was signed, there was that conversation that, well, great player, but you know, wh- wh- where does he go? And, and evidently, where does he go? Because he hasn't, uh, he hasn't really featured for, for Manchester United. Interestingly enough, this morning he, uh, he goes straight into the, the starting lineup with uh, Michael Carrick in charge, uh, mm. which is an interesting one. We know that Manchester United have, uh, have typically... Uh, preferred uh, the approach of keeping a coach, uh, certainly with David Moyes, they kept him for much of the season, you know, the old give it gigsy to the end of the season. Mm. Um, Mourinho, uh, once he was gone, Ollie was brought in initially on an interim basis and then uh, sort of earned the permanent job there. So Michael Carrick has been given, quote-unquote, interim charge at the moment. Mm. He, he surely can't be given a, a permanent role there, but... I wanted to ask you from certainly as a, as a United fan, because I um, one of my favourite pastimes has become watching uh, the best bits of Mark Goldbridge uh, <laughs> after some of the Manchester United results, uh, and he he made the point of um, that you know Ollie, what did he say? He said Ollie was uh, the head coach, but he was twenty five percent of a coaching team, mm. and that Michael Carrick, Darren Fletcher, and Mike Phelan should have gone with him. Because, and we had this conversation last week uh, surrounding Steven Gerrard. He's brought all his Rangers staff with him to Aston Villa. Um, incidentally, they, of course, picked up their first win on the weekend as well. So what are your thoughts on the direction that United should take with the whole staff? Because, I mean, look, when if or when they do bring a new manager in, it is quite likely that they want to bring in their own staff as well. How long that'll take, I guess we'll see. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, a few strands to pick apart there, I think. Uh, one is that the United board and Edward Wood et al., uh, whoever's making the decisions up there, it's very murky, John Murto, whatever, uh, were wholly unprepared to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They didn't even see it coming, which is crazy based on the results. Yeah. But they had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to sign Antonio Conte. They passed it up, said that Ole's our man, and he's off to Spurs. Before that, they had an opportunity to sign Thomas Tuchel. They passed it up. He's smashing it with Chelsea. 
So there are various coaches that they could have brought in to radically transform the fortunes of the team, uh, but they passed up that chance because they were still wedded to the idea of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and suddenly two weeks later he's gone. So that shows just a distinct lack of preparation and has led to the situation where it is necessary to put Michael Carrick in for the next game because who are they going to sign? Mm. Who are they going to bring in on an interim basis to be the interim for the interim, which is the <laughs> which is the situation at the moment. Yeah. They're trying to sign an interim manager, so Carrick is the interim interim, yeah. which is just shows the shambolic nature of that club and bizarre. how it's organised. So bizarre. Uh, it's interesting to me that Solskjaer wasn't taking the training sessions. Uh, it turns out Carrick and, and the coaching staff yeah. were, were running the training. And Ollie was essentially just picking the team. So the only change is is the team that goes out there in the park, which is an important change, obviously, but it's not everything. Uh, Carrick, if he does well, they might fall into the same trap as they did with Ollie, who was a great uh, influence following the toxic uh, nature of the team morale under Jose Mourinho. He was somebody who came in and lifted morale and therefore lifted performances, but it wasn't mm. sustainable because he clearly just doesn't have the tactical brain for it. Yep. Uh, Carrick, I'm not sure. I've known nothing about him aside from his record as a coach under Solskjaer, which is probably not fair to judge him <laughs> on. Yeah. I did like the changes he made uh, this morning in the Champions League, even if it's still McFred at the base of midfield, but starting Van der Beek, starting Sancho in his, in his preferred position um, and playing Ronaldo initially on a flank, I thought were all positive changes. Of course, Ronaldo's insistence to take up central positions ended up nixing that particular uh, tactical adjustment. But there were still clear, clear problems in the defeat to to Villarreal. It looked unprepared, unsurprisingly. Their plan to press Villarreal uh, seemed to have big holes in it, Um, namely the, uh, I guess, hesitancy I, I think, called it cowardice mm. <laughs> on, uh, on my Twitter uh, <laughs> for McFred, uh, that being Fred and Scott McTominay, to both uh, press high up the park on the uh, two midfield players for Valencia, Etienne Capu and, and Danny Parejo. They didn't have a plan to stop Villarreal playing out from the back and they certainly didn't have a plan to play out themselves. But maybe that will develop under Carrick. I think in the short term, given the position that they've put themselves in, this is, of course, self-sabotage. Putting Carrick as is the interim boss is the best of a few bad options. I mean, who else are you going to get on that kind of notice? No one springs to mind mm. until they can try and prize Maurizio Pochettino from his PSG contract. Yeah, but was, they should never have put themselves in this position in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And and Zinedine Zidane uh, has uh, rumoured to have, have turned down any approach and said he's not interested in certainly not interested in being uh, an interim uh, mm. solution. Uh, and I mean. And he doesn't speak English. Possibly and quite likely not interested in being at Manchester United at all, given sort of the state of things uh, above the manager's head. I tell you what, Nick, if they sign Zinedine Zidane, it's only due to Ronaldo's influence. And that means Ronaldo is is the director of football. Yeah. Uh, that's the only reason he would Big go LeBron there. James vibes. And, and I don't see why Zidane, having the immaculate record that he does, basically with all the trophies that he's won, mm would hitch his wagon to Ronaldo, who's now clearly past his peak. He's got so many limitations and shortcomings. Zidane was able to alleviate some of those, but with one of the best midfields ever assembled in the modern game in Cruz, Modric, Casemiro, and Isco as well when he was playing as a number 10 that one season. 
when they went to a diamond was unbelievable. Benzema is that incorporative striker who does all the little things that Ronaldo doesn't. And Ronaldo on the end of the crosses, on the end of all that output, scoring goals and being the hero and winning them in the Champions League. You know, that was a great formula, but you can't replicate it at United because there is no Casemiro. There is no Luka Modric. So I don't see why he would hitch his wagon to Ronaldo at this point in his career. And I just don't think he's a realistic target to start with because he doesn't speak English. Mm. He's waiting for the France job after the World Cup. Unless Deschamps departs before that, he's going to be France manager. And that makes sense given his, uh, I guess, profile. You know, he's not really a hands-on coach. He's more of a uh, leader who the players respect because of yep. his playing profile. And he doesn't give much away in his press conferences, so it's hard to know how detailed his tactical plan really is. If you're going out to get somebody, you know, of the profile of the other top Premier League managers, they have philosophies, they have systems. Zidane, we don't really know what his preferred style yeah, of football I, is. I remember one of the uh, one of the at home shows that we did. I remember we had a discussion about we we don't actually know whether or not uh, Zidane is actually a good uh, a good manager or not, or whether or not he's just exploited the fact <laughs> that he had Cristiano Ronaldo. Benzema, Gareth Bale, Modric, Cruz, etc. That star-studded team that, of course, uh, won the Champions League three times in a row. So, I mean, we're just going to have to watch this space with United. I mean, it, really, anything could happen. We're you know we're, we're talking about uh, uh, Michael Carrick. It really is a, a genuine option at at this point. Certainly, looking from the outside, I mean. It's ridiculousness of Steve Bruce throwing his hat in the ring as well. What it, what a redemption arc that would be if <laughs> he came in and was the the man to turn Manchester United around. That could would be hilarious. Oh. I mean, he did score double figures as a centre back, so maybe he could uh, inspire big Harry Maguire to get mm. pump those rookie numbers up. Yeah, Harry Maguire's ears might be getting <laughs> infected if he keeps having to score goals and put his fingers inside <laughs> them to. Uh, to uh, to knock the haters as uh, as I'm sure Roy Keane would love, but uh, looking at other options, obviously Pochettino is contracted at PSG with three of the biggest names in world football. Doesn't seem like he's enjoying it that much. No, and managers don't like, especially managers with uh, a clear kind of vision of of their football and who like to press from the front and have everybody pitch in, like Thomas Tuchel now Pochettino playing at PSG, where the players. Don't seem to listen to you. No. It's not that much it's... fun, and Leonardo's always pulling the strings and influencing from above. Uh, Graham Hunter this morning on the stand coverage was absolutely convinced that Pochettino would fall out with Leonardo soon enough and Manchester United would pounce as soon as he gets sacked. Yeah. So, I mean, I would be pleased with that as a United fan. I think Pochettino should have been the manager a long time ago, and it's it's, it's well overdue. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. I think really the last... Certainly, the last two, maybe the last three uh, vacancies that Manchester United have had, you know, Pochettino has been one of, if not the favourite. And then, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was his loyalty to to Tottenham or um, Daniel Levy's famous uh, stubbornness in uh, in negotiations, just just ask Pep Guardiola what uh, what he thinks uh, <laughs> about uh, dealing with the the Spurs man uh, on that one. But yeah, Pochettino certainly seems to be certainly from. Uh, uh, the the reports that are going around and from a, a genuine um, common sense point of view seems to be uh, the most likely option. But Manchester United did bounce back uh, this morning when you know a loss to Villarreal this morning could have been supremely damaging, uh, but it turns out a win has them qualified uh, for the Champions League knockout stages, which they, of course, didn't achieve uh, last year. 
So Ollie's gone. Uh, they'll have to figure out a way to replace him. But for now, uh, they they are po- well looking positive in the Champions League, moving into the knockout stages. But in Premier League football, they're sitting in eighth. Uh, you know, just a couple of points, uh, a, mm-hmm. win, a win away from Southampton in thirteenth, and they're going to uh, going to Chelsea this weekend, which will be interesting enough. Uh, we'll talk about this weekend's Premier League fixtures. Uh, a little later on the other side of the break that we're about to take. Before we do, Nick, can I just add to what I observed this morning? Of course. McTominay and Fred standing next to each other when someone needs to present for the ball, not ideal. <laughs> it it re- represents the kind of delusion in modern coaching between uh, what actually constitutes control and not. Because McFred, uh, the, that, that double pivot there seems to suggest a more solid but defensive base. But all it is is ground coverage. And it means that you lose footing in the match because you can't play out through pressure. It is absolutely puzzling to watch these two bumble about trying to receive the ball. And obviously United need a do-it-all number six, which is hard to find. One of the rarest players in the modern game that can really transform things. A Jorginho type would be absolutely perfect. Uh, but short of that, I think the uh, most sensible uh, adaption is is to go to a four three three to play Bruno Fernandez and Donny Van Der Beek as two quote unquote free number eights, and Edinson Cavani up front, uh, who can receive the ball with his back to goal and provide that kind of reference point for midfielders who uh, who need a target uh, further further forwards or even for centre backs. I mean, we've seen occasionally. You know, Harry Maguire, as much as he's a, a walking, talking meme these days, <laughs> he does have actually that passing range to find, to punch a pass through and find the center forward if they're presenting. Ronaldo on the left, Sancho on the right. That's my 11. I don't know if we'll see it. And it would require a little bit more defensive running from Bruno Fernandes. But having been benched, you saw his reaction when he came on the park when he was subbed on. He was pumped up. Mm. He was really raring to go and looking to prove himself, which might be a, a good thing in terms of. Uh, you know, uh, motivating a guy who's been the first name on the team sheet for quite some time. I, I, it can backfire, of course, with a with an ego like Fernandez. He's a big personality, uh, but it looked good. It was, uh, you know, like that bit in The Simpsons. I've been starving him, singing off key. He was he was frothing at the mouth <laughs> like a, one of Chief Wiggum's police dogs. So uh, I enjoy watching him. I enjoy watching Jaden Sancho score his first goal for the club finally yeah, with that pile driver. He was he was magnificent and the best player in the second half. Mm. And, you know, uh, with a few changes in the team, United could quickly turn their fortunes around and then uh, make another mistake in appointing an interim manager permanently. <laughs> we might do this all <laughs> over again. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, it will be interesting to see what Michael Carrick does. Being a midfielder, whether or not he can uh, impart some of his uh, experience on the midfield. Uh, and just before we head to the break, just to finish off on what you were talking about there, I wanted to read some quotes from uh, from... Uh, Paul Merson, who is, uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously very well known for uh, saying some uh, some odd things on uh, on the television, but um, I thought this was uh, was was quite bang on about Ronaldo. He said, "I feel sorry for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He had a plan at the start of the season, having finished second. He chased Jaden Sancho for a long time, got him in, uh, and he'd given Edinson Cavani another year. And then he said, you could see his plan. You play Cavani every other game. You have Sancho on one side.'" Rashford on the other, you have Mason Greenwood coming in and swapping around. You have pace, power, energy, youth, skill, the lot. And then when that plan changed was when Cristiano Ronaldo came in uh, and Paul Merson hinted that he felt sorry 
uh, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because Ronaldo comes in um, and he said it snowballed from there. Ronaldo, the Ronaldo situation threw it all out the window and I think it's a, it's a very fair point. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think he's still clearly underqualified for the position to begin yeah. with. I think his shortcomings were exposed well before Ronaldo got there. The, the problem for a new manager is dealing with Ronaldo, though. He's as funny as it is to say about a player who scores so many important goals, he's sort of an anchor around the neck of potential incumbent manager, like incoming managers, because he is such a big personality. He, he is such a uh, complicated, uh, he has a complicated set of attributes and shortcomings to fit into a cohesive modern football team. And in many ways, Messi at Paris Saint-Germain at this stage of his career is the same. Late career Ronaldo is not an easy person playing around. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer clearly was not up to that task, not even close. So uh, I guess we'll take a break here we will. on the EPL show and come back with uh, a bit of Liverpool-Arsenal chat. Yes, I look forward to it. Uh, Chelsea, of course, also played in the Premier League and uh, the Premier League in the Champions League this morning uh, and a few other interesting Premier League results to unpack from the weekend. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. We've just spent just shy of half an hour unpacking the uh, Manchester United debacle. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's sacking uh, and uh, contrasting results, but rather identical performances for Man United in their last two games. A 4-1 defeat to Watford on the weekend, uh, followed by a 2-0 win this morning against Villarreal that secured... Uh, their spot in the knockout stages of the Champions League and also securing their spot in the knockout stages of the Champions League were Chelsea. Uh, Not only that, but they've jumped to top of their group after dismantling Juventus, a Juventus side that were four from four in the Champions League heading into this morning, a Juventus side that beat Chelsea uh, in the second, I believe, or potentially, yeah, no, second match day of, uh, of the Champions League. Uh, and Chelsea just blew by the old lady. It didn't uh, ever really look like a contest. Um, Reese James is just turning into an absolute goal-getter for Chelsea. Uh, Trevor Chalabar as well is chip, chipping in. I think that's his third goal in all competitions. He's I had to break brilliant. it to you, Nick. It was match day five. No, no. It's Chel- oh, the, the second meeting of Chelsea and Juventus. No, no, as in Juventus beat Chelsea on the second oh, match day in, the, in the reverse listening. fixture. Yes. Um, Chelsea were <laughs> rampant this they morning. Were. What they happened? Were. Obviously not me for a six because uh, I, I'm barely functioning after getting up these <laughs> matches this morning. Uh, it, was, it was a good watch, I have to say. Mm. They are a very disciplined team. They play at a ridiculous pace and... You know, they're, they're really hard to contain. I, I don't think Juve, Juventus did themselves any favours uh, with uh, with that midfield selection. I'm by sorry. I, I, can't, I can't get over lucky eating a bag of spinach outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun oh, here late on a Wednesday oh, night. Dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, but no, you, you're exactly right. Chelsea are... Are in tremendous form. I Chelsea think. have been eating their greens, much they, like Lockie they, Flanagan, our producer. <laughs> they really have. Uh, ap- apart from one uh, slip up, really out of left field uh, against Burnley uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was the the game before uh, the international break where they drew one all. They're they're just really rolling past opponents, and and like I said, you know, this was a Juventus team that you know domestic form aside, they were four from four in the Champions League. They were they were starting to look like. 
commanding that group. Uh, and they've uh, just totally picked them, picked them apart. 21 shots to eight. Uh, eight, eight of them on target. You know, Reese James, like I said, not only did he score the goal, he had another brilliant chance that was uh, fantastically saved. Uh, the the Hudson Odoi goal was both bizarre and brilliant in the mm. in its own way. I think it was Hakim Ziyech was somehow afforded to keep the ball in between about six Juventus uh, players uh, right on the penalty spot. Just about you know, Timo Werner comes off the bench, continuing his return from injury to to score a goal. Romelu Lukaku didn't come on, but he's back on the bench and back fit. Uh, so he's he's obviously only going to to make the team better as well. And you know, you you look at the at the bench that uh, that Thomas Tuchel had. I mean, even players like Ross Barkley, like Ruben Loftus Cheek, are are playing somewhat of a role. They're regulars on the match day uh, team sheet. Uh, and they're coming in and they're, and they're doing a job. And, you know, some of the guys that were unused here, Marcus Alonso was fantastic in the earlier part of the season. Ben Chilwell has now wrestled that spot back. Andreas Christensen uh, is has been first choice at the back and, um, you know, what wasn't needed at all. Their captain doesn't even play, Cesar Azpilicueta. Uh, Mateo Kovacic is injured. Uh, good to see Christian Pulisic uh, and Takim Ziyech uh, both getting starts because they don't play a great deal anymore. But... I mean, it's it's hard to make a case for for anyone really stopping Chelsea mm. at the moment in in any competition. I can't help but when I see this Chelsea squad, there's the embarrassment of riches that you've uh, gone through there. Think back to uh, Harry Redknapp's interview, his radio interview, the morning after Frank Lampard was dismissed as Chelsea manager. And the litany of excuses he rolled out for his son-in-law, you know, did he bring the players in? Did he bring the Germans in? You know, he also said... Fantastic I, impression. Thank you. Um, I'll see if I can keep it going. The next next line, he said, I'm, I'm yet to see a manager who can turn average players into great players. I'm yet to see someone who can do that. And apparently it's Thomas Tuchel. Uh, Harry Redknapp, it, it, you've got the example there right in front of you. Apparently a set of quote-unquote average players are running rampant at Stamford Bridge, I mean, this is a, a phenomenal squad. And yes. yes, Timo Werner was was notoriously short on confidence and missed a lot of chances. Yes, uh, early in uh, Frank Lampard's reign before Mendy came in, uh, they had a goalkeeper who was who was throwing a few in every few weeks. <laughs> uh, so you know that that didn't help. Um, but you know this this team seems to be plug and play three mm. four three. Anyone in those uh, forward positions is scoring and doing a good job. Christian Pulisic. Or Pulisic, I should say, as he pronounces it. Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic started as the false number nine. <laughs> and uh, he he did a good job, you know. Mm. Like uh, Hudson Adoy, a player who was pretty much sidelined under Tuchel when he first came in, um, has uh, played as an inside forward, as a wing back, mm. and is now finding minutes. Um, you know, he's finding a way to, to succeed in this setup. And I, I think Thomas Tuchel, honestly is the best example of a perfect balance between prescriptive coaching and uh, freedom to uh, choose options on the field. I think there are coaches like Nagelsmann at Bayern Munich who I think lean too heavily towards the automatisms, the rehearsed um, pattern play that Mm. actually stifles players sometimes. 
And there are other coaches like Solskjaer, for example, <laughs> who are way too laissez-faire and the players have no idea what they're doing. Go and do whatever you like, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just uh, just run about, like Harry Redknapp said to Roman Pavlyuchenko before he came on to score a hat-trick one time at Tottenham. Roman so, Pavlyuchenko, what a, yes, what a player. <laughs> but, um, pulling think... the references out of nowhere. But Tuchel, I think, gets the balance spot on yeah. and that's why he's, he's smashing it He's, so I mean... Full, uh, full respect and, and hats off to Thomas Tuchel because I think mean, r- really coming coming off his uh, his previous jobs as well. I think maybe it's harsh, to, harsh just to say, but there's certainly a, a a prevailing attitude that winning the league with PSG isn't such a, a great achievement necessarily. Obviously, it's fantastic to win it the league. It was beyond Poch to win the league last anyway. season. Yeah, very true. Uh, but. There was there was that attitude that okay yeah he's he's won the league uh, at PSG but he never did anything in Europe. Um, there was certainly an attitude that he didn't uh, get the full potential out uh, of his uh, Borussia Dortmund squad. Uh, so coming into to Chelsea, honestly, when when they hired him, I I did wonder if it was a, a case of uh, you know they've signed the German players so now they're signing the German manager to help uh, make the German players fit. Uh, and I I, I wasn't. So sure that that it was going to work, but I mean, uh, you know, it was it's just another one to add to my long history of uh, well off the mark uh, <laughs> pr- predictions because Chelsea have uh, gone on to win the Champions League and uh, and are in control uh, in the Premier League at the moment. They've conceded four goals in the Premier League in twelve games. It's ridiculous. And Rudiger, player who was sidelined oh. under Lampard, superstar. I think he's the best centre back in the world. At the moment, is I, that, I, I might I agree. be a big shout. No, no, I, I agree, hundred percent. He is just outstanding to watch. I think you guys were uh, were asking Ben Garucho and Steve Horvat about Leo Lacroix, about uh, his adventures into midfield. Mm. The, those couple of clips. Uh, I think it was one of the Champions League games. I know Kurt Zuma did one last season for Chelsea, but Rudiger, you know, when he just took the ball and ended up all the way on the edge of the box and and had a shot. You know, that's. That's he, he. He's always been that sort of player, that sort of um, gangly, you know, long arms, long legs. Uh, a he bit, doesn't look coordinated, but no, suddenly he, he is. And he does a bit of the extreme. You know, he goes a bit bonkers sometimes. He, he'll go for a run or he'll he'll fly in for a challenge. But goodness, he's effective, and he's he's again all, all of like all of the defenders. He's chipping in with goals from set pieces, as he did on the weekend against against Leicester. So no, I I, I fully agree with. Uh, with that assertion that he's he's the best defender in the world at the moment, and the issue for Chelsea is tying him down to a new deal because mm. in about uh, thirty-seven days, uh, I think you're about to say five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the watch um, there. Bayern Munich and Real Madrid can uh, can submit an offer for Antonio Rudiger. So his, his, his contract, contract expires. expires. I did not know that. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a big um, talking point over. Next month, I mean, he's going to want big money, I imagine, based on his performances. I've seen a lot of hype around Andreas Christensen this mm. season and his performances. What, how, what have you made of him in the Premier League? Obviously, being part of this unit uh, that Tickle has built makes a lot of defenders look good. Uh, but Christensen, not required against against Juventus this morning, but has had some some great form for Denmark coming off the back of that, that Euros campaign, making the all the way to the semifinals in a very defensively stout team. And then, of course, uh, Chelsea now uh, part of probably the best defense in the world. I've I've always really liked Andreas Christensen. I remember when he came up. Uh, I can't remember necessarily what season it was, but when he came through into the first team, uh, it, it might have been actually that year under Conte that um, 
that he sort of uh, started making a few more regular appearances in the the 16 17 season i've always been a big a big fan of him he's a, a strong mm. defender um you know tall but can play play with the ball which i think in a in a, a three at the back formation i think the it's crucial yeah yeah the as much as the interchange ability if you like of the um the forwards is important you know having the the center backs that can play on the right or the left or or the middle and having them all be able to combine and and bring the ball out of defence and link with the midfielders and hit the wing backs, etc. Uh, I, I think is is massively important. And I've I've always been impressed by Christensen. So it was it was the year after they won the title to, uh, with um, with Conte. In, so seventeen eighteen um, was when he made twenty seven appearances. Prior to that, he'd only uh, made his debut, and that was it. He he hadn't played at all before. Um, but yeah, I I, I think he's. He's great, and he's still only twenty five years old. Uh, as as you mentioned, Denmark have have really hit a a bit of a golden generation at the moment. Had a, a fantastic World Cup, and uh, uh, not qualified yet because mm. they came. No, no, I'm thinking Poland. They are qualified. Yeah, I was thinking of Poland actually, in England's group, they so they they are qualified for uh, for Qatar twenty two as well. And look, if if Christensen does leave, they have. Uh, sorry, if Rudiger uh, leaves, they have Christensen ready-made to to jump in and uh, and and play more uh, more than he than he currently is. He's already playing plenty. He's played eight of the twelve uh, Premier League games, as we mentioned. He wasn't needed this morning, uh, but he's played uh, he played all four of the the previous Champions League yeah, group so games I, as well. I think they will need to go into the market for someone if Rudiger decides to go. I don't know what the market for Rudiger is like at the moment. With you know that. The two Spanish giants uh, struggling financially, particularly Barcelona's not in the, not in the running. I don't think Serie A could necessarily compete financially for Rudiger's signature. So it's really up to the rival Premier League clubs or PSG or maybe Bayern Munich. Yeah, well, and but Bayern's got to be in for him because he's German, yeah, right? They always want to get the German national team players. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bayern Munich and uh, and Real Madrid have been the two okay. linked uh, or, or most heavily linked, and. I'll see if I can find it while while we're going. But there was there were some quotes from uh, someone at Bayern, uh, Rummenigger. It might have yep. been usually um, it's Rummenigger. Yeah, in the press. saying uh, someone asked him about this contract situation. He said, "You know, we've just signed up a Meccano, but we're always looking at good players, and you know, Rudiger's no different, etc." So a bit of that sort of a sort of cryptic comment and. I mean, it's it, it can go either way. I think certainly speaking from first-hand experience as a Liverpool, uh, as a Liverpool fan, um, last season, you know, we were in Australia. We were waking up every morning hoping to see that Gini Wijnaldum had signed a new deal. And sort of the longer it goes on, the more you start to think, well, hang on, there's you know, time's running out, and he and he could well. Uh, be on the way if uh, if there's no deal incoming. Yes, yeah, so I've I've found these quotes. So if we um, if I can find what he was yeah, saying. Yeah, because my point being that Christensen coming in, of course, is a good option, but Thiago Silva also not getting any younger. Not that that's seeming to impede his performances so far. He made a ridiculous acrobatic clearance off the line oh, this morning. and 37 uh, years old, by yeah, the way. <laughs> paid a bit of a price. I think he actually went through the net and crashed into one of the cameras behind yeah. the goals, yeah. uh, which... Yeah, you know, less than ideal. I think he hurt his ankle, but he stayed on. Mm. Uh, but you know, he's he's not getting any younger, of course. And uh, having a centre back with that kind of confidence to stride out in possession, as most of the Chelsea centre backs seem to to seem to do, 
uh, would be high on their uh, their recruitment list if if Rudiger is to leave. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think at, at 37 years of age, uh, coming off um, the well, the season season before he or his last season at PSG was of course the Champions League final. He uh, obviously captained that side for quite a long time. Had done very well. He came in uh, and was injured quite early, and you were sort of thinking, you know, injury. This in- has the makings of a bust. Yeah, injuries, age. Um, uh, it wasn't quite going to work, but he was you know, one one of the best defenders in the league uh, across you know last season. We keep talking about Chelsea defenders as being best in the league, best in the world, and so forth. There's a common theme here. I think yeah. the system is. Uh, is helping sure. these guys out. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and I mean, who knows how, how long he can go for? I, I, th- I think his contract might end uh, at the end of this season as well. And if, it's a luxury to have a player like Kante year. in front of you to mm. cover uh, those spaces. I think a lot of defenders can be exposed by a lack of midfield coverage and, and vice versa. Um, you sort of live or die on the pressure and, and defensive presence that their midfields provide. And if they get into these one-on-one situations in wide open spaces, like Harry Maguire has a lot of the mm-hmm. time, um, you know, you can be made to look like a bit of a clown. Um, whereas you look at Maguire's uh, Euros campaign with England, where he had Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice just screening in front of him the entire tournament. And that team didn't concede a goal until the semifinals. Mm. Yeah. And this, I mean, you, you only need to take uh, a look at the the European championships as a whole and see how this three at the back movement has has sort of taken over, mm. certainly in in like in tournament play. I think you know in, in <clears throat> excuse me in the in the Champions League as well, where we're starting to see more of it, and where where once it was perhaps considered a bit archaic. I I, I remember you know plenty of coaches even uh, quite quite recently with, with Louis Van Gaal returning to the Netherlands national team. You know, a reporter asked him about. Playing defense, or why is he so defensive? He plays a five at the back, and he he hit off at the journalists and said, "Look at Chelsea; they're playing some of the best attacking football mm-hmm. in the world with a, a five at the back." And you know, um, it all depends on the implementation of that system. It's not about the numbers. Yeah, exactly. And and the you only you, you need to only need to see how how uh, well the wing backs are working and, and getting forward. Um, Chilwell's even been been scoring a couple of goals, swinging some great deliveries into the box. Uh, the the fluidity of that front three that we've uh, we've mentioned as well, Chelsea. They, I mean, they look like the team to beat. It's tough to it's tough to admit. And who's but going to get they in their the way? Business. Who's going to get in their way? Is it going to be the side that smashed four goals past Arsenal? I hope so. At Anfield on the weekend. I hope so because you you look at that performance from Liverpool and I think at at their best, I, they can, really they can go toe to toe with anyone. This Liverpool team, I think. I, I well, think Mikel Arteta was trying to go toe to toe with yeah. Jurgen Klopp on the sideline. <laughs> I, I would love to see them jump in the ring. As, uh, <laughs> a I, bit I, of a height disadvantage <laughs> for Mikel on that one. I think it was yeah. a bit of a hold me back fight. <laughs> Don't think Mikel really wanted a bar of Klopp, who has about a foot on him, yeah, it's, and it's, a terrifying set of teeth as well. On as, that soon, as soon as Klopp came marching over, it was a, a bit of um, it's the the classic. Uh, I don't know what movie it's actually from, but where the woman's, you know, going like that, and then there's the cat hissing <laughs> from the from the chair at the dinner table. I don't know what movie it's from or what scene it is or whatever. It was, uh, but it was uh, quite an apt yeah. depiction of uh, of what happened on the touchline. But really, that moment was the um, the spark for for Liverpool to take the game over because quite soon after, you won't like them when you're when they're angry. Exactly, heavy metal football <laughs> and all that. Quite soon after that, Mane, uh, well, Mane got a yellow card and then scored uh, and then three second half goals uh, in the space of 
25 minutes or so. And uh, and that was that. And Liverpool continue this just quite peculiar dominance of mm. of Arsenal. Um, uh, so certainly at home. Uh, I'm trying to think off, off the top of my head. I reckon it's probably back six years now every time uh, Liverpool have played Arsenal at home in the league, they've scored at least three goals. And it's... It's, it's, quite it's not a good record that Arsenal have against almost any of the top sides. Yeah, and we've been we've been talking about this, and even uh, over the weekend while we were all together in uh, in Geelong, uh, obviously Bakua being a a big gunner, um, we we were talking about the same thing that you know Arsenal clearly have this issue of um, not being able to make be- the leap. Yeah, beating up the uh, the teams below them, but when it when it comes time to take that next step. Uh, and, and beat some of the better teams. They, I don't know if they go into their shell a bit, or you know, Arteta just doesn't quite have the uh, uh, the managerial acumen to to sort of break down a big team. I think I think it'd probably be a harsher assessment of Arteta, given what he did early doors um, in his Arsenal reign. You know, he beat Man City a couple of times, won the F- uh, the FA Cup. I was about to say FFA Cup. Goodness me, um, but. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's an issue for Arsenal, and and this this is an Arsenal team that is still very much in the midst of a, of a reform and and a rebuild. So you know, any any positive result is is fantastic, but you know, they they're not realistically they they they're not looking at trophies for still uh, another few years, and you know, with with more recruitment and with more games in in your Smith Rows in your Sackers, you know. Um, the, they'll get better. I, I see you've got the uh, the past results there. You're doing some mental maths. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out the last time Arsenal won a Premier League game at Anfield, and I think it was 2012. Wow. So they've won a few of these ties over the years. There have been a couple of draws yep. um, in, in terms of the overall matchup. There was, of course, one uh, EFL Cup uh, win on... Uh, was that a penalty shootout? Yeah, penalty okay. shootout, yeah. I was going to say, it said 5-4 on FOTMOB. I was going to say, yeah. I don't remember that particular Well, there was... Uh, league, uh, league Cup, I mean, Liverpool play rotated sides. Yeah, so. and the, the season before that, there was a 5-all uh, after 90 minutes in the League Cup. That, That's uh, right. That Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool won the penalty shootout on, on that occasion. But there uh, was... There that, w- that one comes up as 10-9. <laughs> <laughs> Love <laughs> <What> that. <a> game. <laughs> <laughs> the, but there was, there was sort of a period where Arsenal... Uh, beat the um, uh, the would be champions Liverpool after the fact after the fact after they'd um, mm-hmm. wrapped up the league in 2020. They then beat them in the Community Shield and then beat them in that uh, in, the FA, in that uh, League Cup tie okay, that you mentioned. Um, and it was sort of starting to be a little bit of well, hang on, what's you know we've we're very used to beating Arsenal, so what's what's happening here? But I mean in, in in league action, it's uh, it's very much uh, it's pretty one way traffic. Going back to yeah, why, why do you think that is? Because I, I remember a, a discussion on I think it was back in first lockdown on the uh, English football show about Mikel Arteta mm. playing out from the back, very mm. deep, playing into the corners, his own corners, and getting sort of stuck there. And and I think if I remember correctly, you were on Mikel Arteta's side in this yeah. particular yeah, day. I you remember felt I had it was a important with Chris. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas Chris was was less enthused by uh, this kind of strategy. Where do you stand on it now? Is it effective against the top teams like like Liverpool, who put so much forward pressure on and disrupt Arsenal's passing game? 
Yeah, I I I think he definitely has to be smarter with it, and and I think mm. last week when we were talking about uh, about Norwich, it's it's a little bit of a, of a similar scenario where you sort of have to read who you're up against, and when it's when it doesn't work, you know, this is mm. a handful of times in a row now going to Anfield where it's it's just not worked. Something has to click in your head to to change something, and I I, I do still stand by Mikel Arteta and. And like what he's doing with the Arsenal team, how he came in and, and you know, there was so much talk about, um, you know, I don't know if he said it or someone else said it, that these players had never been taught how to play out of the back properly. Mm. And <laughs> he was going back to right to the basics of, you know, basically, to basically junior football. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was pretty depressing stuff yeah, in that athletic piece. Yeah, that's right. has a WhatsApp group, yeah. which makes him different. Was like, just, <laughs> yeah, I love was, those long reads. They were just listing like basic it, it, like rudimentary improvements, uh, it makes you think about the state of things yeah. beforehand. Yeah, it was. It, they, pretty, I think they tough. Sort of propaganda pieces. Those those in depth articles, especially yeah. when it's the hype job for the new coach, mm. uh, it tends to be like who's contributing to that piece? Yeah, their people. <laughs> who's yeah. giving the quotes on that front? Yeah, very true. But I, I mean, Unai Emery's team was playing out from the back very well this morning. Uh, mm. His Real side. So I don't understand why he couldn't teach the Arsenal players to do the same. Yeah, but I think he, I mean, in in quite a similar way that we've seen uh, managers post-Fergie not quite hit it uh, at Manchester United. I think Emery perhaps mm. struggled with a bit of a, a, an Arsene Wenger hangover. But again, you know, I've, I've said it multiple times before on on this platform and, and on other platforms as well and just in, in general conversation that I, I really do like Arsenal. I like what they're doing. I like Arteta, but... Yeah, certainly this game and the previous meetings with Liverpool are are a clear indication that there has to be a plan B for these for these bigger games because, and I mean, look, there's going to be errors playing out of the back all the time. But Nuno Tavares saying Diogo Jota have the ball. I would like please score for me. Um, yeah, that's that, that can't quite be. Uh, accepted and maybe got confused thought they were playing international football. Yeah, quite possibly. Passing to his Portuguese <laughs> teammate. Well, he's uh, if if Tavares is getting picked for Portugal, he's going to have to get um, start building that connection to <laughs> to try and make sure they get through the the World Cup playoffs in uh, in in a few months' time. But it's an interesting one for us. I, I think, like I said, uh, this this transition period will naturally sort of lead them to. Um, you know, not quite being at the level of the top teams. And if they're winning games that they're expected to and not quite beating the the big teams and they still finish fifth or sixth, to me, I think that's a success for the situation that Arsenal are in right now. You know, give it a couple of years, some more signings, some more work under Arteta. And if they're not still not really properly pushing for top four in you know, two, three years, then I think there's, you know, the issues will, will probably start to become apparent. But... Um, you know, talk a top four. They're only three points off fourth uh, at the moment, and you know they're they're in touching distance. If they get back in the Champions sure. League, uh, that's nice. a six. I mean, dare I say it? Fourth place is a trophy, you know, <laughs> as Arsene Wenger said for years. Too much derision. It is. It is a trophy yeah. these days. Well, they and they they haven't and, come fourth for for a long time. So particularly for Arsenal, it'll be mm. um, it'll be massive. I think it even uh, Jurgen Klopp recently when. You know, he's been asked about uh, the the side that he's going to feel tomorrow morning against Porto, you know, despite the fact that it's a dead rubber. And he's openly said, um, 
a Champions League win equals two million pounds for the club every every game you win. And you know, I think if you win the entire League Cup, you get like five hundred thousand pounds <laughs> as a comparison. So. That'll be massive for Arsenal. You know, we all know. Obviously, European football attracts better players, uh, and it can it can snowball from there. But enough about Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, as 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 much as I would uh, love to continue, we've we've had our our in depth Man United talk. We've had our in depth uh, Liverpool talk. We'll rattle off uh, a couple more of the results. Uh, as we head into the end of the show. I, I want to ask about Stevie G and mm. Aston Villa. Winning start. He's come in. He's band catch-up, which uh, is all is the in-vogue thing Has to he do. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't hear that. Yeah, ben, he won't be signing Ben Foster, that's for sure. There's an excellent piece in The Guardian by Jonathan Liu about the catch-up wars in British football, you know, uh, and what it represents, sort of Puritanism versus hedonism. And all this. <laughs> it was a great, great piece. I can't believe he got... 900 words about football and ketchup. <laughs> but Conte and Stevie G, that's one thing they have in common. Wow, yeah, that's that's very funny. Oh, I've think. blown my FNR quiz question now. Which condiment did Antonio Conte <laughs> and Steven Gerrard both ban uh, in their bummer. respective clubs? That's I don't right. know if that was the one percenter that led to the victory over, yeah. over Brighton. But, <laughs> but Brighton, it's uh, they had so much hype about them last season. You know, this team, it's, it's going to be a... Uh, a return to form based on the on the XG. They're going to be better this year. And, you know, they've been competitive in nearly every game they've played, but they're just not getting wins. It's not picking up three points. You're right. That's It's it's seven games without a win now. Uh, in, in fairness to them, that run only has two losses. They're just drawing an awful lot of games. They, they of course, drew with Liverpool at Anfield, which is a great result uh, in isolation. They lost to Man City, which you can't necessarily complain about. And I mean, draws against uh, Crystal Palace and Arsenal. Again, they're not uh, outwardly poor results given the the form that the both of those sides are in. But, but they it, can't score goals. They've scored twelve goals in what twelve games this season. Mm, it's a it's, poor return. It's been their issue for for so long. The XG Kings and the, where it it looked like they'd finally turn that corner early doors in the season. They were uh well what they were they were in the top 4 after a handful of games uh, i think it was a, a a great win against uh everton at the end of august i think uh set up for the first uh in, headed into the first international break um with well bizarrely enough they've now got a better goal difference than arsenal mm. which is <laughs> kind of astonishing if you think about it. arsenal scored one more goal and and conceded uh several more than brighton but uh they just can't get the, the these tight games, they don't seem to be able to score the crucial goal. Um, you know, they've had a couple of score draws. They've kind of drawn a few blanks recently. I think it's up to, unfortunately, the most volatile forward in the Premier League in Neil Mopé mm. to, to deliver the goods for them. Yeah, goodness. He's, uh, again, uh, like I mentioned, uh, early doors in the season, it looked like he was going to be that um, that guy. He scored. They didn't a, start him against Villa. They started Trossard and Lallana. There's no number the, nine in there. And that, and that's what they had to do for 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 quite a lot of last season as well because Mope just isn't scoring. I think I think Danny Welbeck is injured uh, as well. In fairness to him, but they opted not to to sign a striker in the summer. Whether or not that was uh, not for a lack of trying, you know, we'll never know. But they strengthened other areas of the pitch. They of course lost Ben White uh, as well, but. I'll um I'll live by and die by uh, this Brighton team. I I, I think it is going to click, and when it does, I I really think they're they're a special team. And I, I think even now they're they're ninth. I think they if they finished the season in ninth, they would be absolutely wrapped with that. Mm. Um, they just keep drawing. Whether or, whether or not it's actually you know their full potential is maybe another mm. question. But you look at the the teams above them. 
you know, it's all of the, the traditional big six plus uh, West Ham and Wolves who, again, we, we spoke about last week, are, have somehow ended up in sixth place without anyone really noticing them. Um, but, yeah, you're exactly right. Brighton just keep on keep on drawing. And there's it's so important in the... In the middle pack of uh, of teams in, in any league, really, where it's going to be so tight between you know your your eighth, ninth, all the way down to you know twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, even fifteenth, where you're probably starting to get at risk of slipping into a relegation battle. Turning one point into three and picking up those two extra can be so mm-hmm. so massive. And you know Brighton's five draws, uh, only Burnley and Newcastle, who both have six and are both in the relegation zone. Uh, and Crystal Palace, who have uh, seven, they're the only three teams that have uh, more than Brighton's five. So they'll look to turn it around with a win uh, against Leeds, who mm. are a bit out of sorts. Uh, yeah, very, very much so. Uh, well, they can't seem to convert their chances, and, and in a similar boat, uh, I wonder whether there's a bit of Bielsa fatigue setting in. I mean, that's always the narrative whenever yeah, Leeds yeah, isn't doing yeah. well. It's sort of a cheap tactic to take. <laughs> it is, but they did burn out almost in the season they got promoted, and. Uh, you know, there was a presenter that copped a lot of flack for this point of view, but I think the COVID lockdown did actually help them yeah. get promoted that season because they had a nice long rest before they, yeah. you know, came back and finished the season strong. They were on a terrible run and then they alleviated it. So maybe maybe if uh, we had a Christmas break in the Premier League, the <laughs> leads would fly through the second half of the year. Yeah. Not so. I, I want to talk about Norwich, though. Mm. Two wins on the bounce, two different managers. Massive. Against Southampton, a team somewhat out of sorts, but still another three points for a relegation-threatened outfit who's been a bit of a punchline this year. Mm. Won a game, sacked Daniel Farker, now Dean Smith's in charge. I mean, what is going on at Carrow Road? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we we keep bringing up uh, memes and uh, and pop culture references uh, today, but I, I immediately think of uh, of the Black Panther. We don't do that here. <laughs> we don't win games in Norwich, but apparently they do. Yeah, apparently, it's, it's in vogue now. And and uh, I said last week. I mean, you know, if Dean Smith can engineer some sort of turnaround at Norwich, they're they're, off the bottom. they're not yet out of this race. And and you're exactly right. They're on to eight points. Newcastle are still without a win uh, on six. And Norwich are only three points adrift uh, of Leeds, uh, who are in 17th. So if if this is truly a, a bit of a Dean Smith turnaround, then all of a sudden we're looking at, you know, Norwich may well still go down, but we're looking at a team that will at least uh, maybe fight and maybe mm. it'll only be briefly, but at least fight for their own safety in the Premier League rather than the last time they were in where, I mean... A lot of people sort of just gave up on them. I think probably the players realised quite late on into the season that it's uh, it was going to be coming to an end, and and sort of that was that. But I think they have to beat Newcastle in two weeks. That's huge. It's a huge game. I mean, I'm not saying it's uh, a six pointer, but it kind of <laughs> is. Uh, look, they've got Wolves this weekend. I think that's a winnable game. Wolves have been pretty inconsistent. It's not going to be easy, but I think mm. they could at least get a point there. Newcastle the week after away from home. It's going to be huge. And then there's a tough run. Tottenham, United, Villa, West Ham, Arsenal, Palace. That's brutal. That's a murderer's row. Mm. So we could be sitting here in a couple of months' time um, in the new year and thinking Norwich are again cannon fodder unless they win that Newcastle game. Yeah, and but even looking at that, that run of results, I mean, depending on what kind of Tottenham 
you catch or, or what kind of day you catch Tottenham on, depending on what kind of day you catch Manchester United on, depending on what kind of day you catch Arsenal on. I think I mean, Ronaldo's going to ex- feast on the cannon fodder of this yeah. league. Sassuolo, man. <laughs> Sorry, not Sassuolo. Uh, what do they call him in the Cremone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, he's... Uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, he's he's a flat track bully, and I, I think yeah. he'll come to the fore. In the I, I certainly don't really see them winning any of those six games. I think even I'm just looking at your screen now. Even after the Palace game, they Crotone man. I have it, been yes. confirmed is the That's Serie A nickname. Man. That's of the one. Ronaldo's Juventus <laughs> legacy. Um, but yeah, even after those six, I'm just uh, just looking here. Leicester and Everton are probably not games that they're going to be going into as favourites. Although Everton. Um, unintentional but timely segue uh, maybe the last team we'll talk about just for for a couple of minutes i boldly and i and i admitted it last week it was probably more out of hope than genuine prediction uh thought that everton might be able to steal a result from man city uh they were absolutely washed away three nil at the etihad stadium a cool 78 percent possession a cracking goal from Rodri. Manchester city oh beautiful and the um the the sterling goal the the jacques and solo pass mamma mia Incredible, and I hate, I hated the commentary and the coverage after. Was brilliant finish from Raheem Sterling. Yes, it was a fantastic finish, but Jao Cancelo's pass was. If we're mm. if we're making a ratio of of that goal of like what was so great about it, it's seventy thirty at least the Jao Cancelo ball. I absolutely adore a tra- a Travella pass. He's just in the team gorgeous. Of the season. He's a, so far. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. It's him. It's I'm thinking about the defense of the season. It's him. Yeah. Probably the rest of them are probably Chelsea, Chelsea. players. <laughs> Rudiger, Reese James, yeah. maybe Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Cancelo has been outstanding. It, I think it's underrated how difficult it is to play left fullback as a right footer. Mm. And Guardiola was hesitant to use him there consistently for quite some time. Obviously, there are extenuating circumstances as to uh, lack of competition in that mm. position, uh, which mm. we won't go into. Yes. Um, but look, he he's a phenomenal footballer, and is there an answer to Manchester oh. City's striking dilemma? Their lack of a number nine is it right under their noses? Just, Cole Palmer. I've just seen the the name you've brought up. He he looks, you know, Phil Foden Mark II. Mm. He's even a left footer, I, I think. Um, well, if you don't know, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, true. Two-footed very true. is a massive asset. But and, he... and Phil Foden is very two-footed. He this is. is another similarity between yeah. the two players. But it's these versatile attacking players. You can't necessarily nail down the position for them. But Guardiola, we know he's always um, ready to try out a midfield up front. And Cole Palmer looks to, to fit the bill. Maybe uh, they don't need Dusan Vlavic or Early Haaland after yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? But, yeah, Cole, Cole Palmer looks unreal. He's super tall, 189 centimetres uh, I've got here. As a as a 19-year-old, he, he, he might well uh, still grow. Do a Giannis rock up to off-season and grow five You know who he reminds me inches. of? I think it's just stature and uh, that sort of languid style, but he reminds me of habits. Yeah, yeah, very – it's a, it's, it's a, a great comparison, particularly if he is left-footed, which I, I will somehow try and find out. <laughs> Um, but he he looks just really really good, and he scored he scored he scored his first goal in the Champions League. I think in one of the mm-hmm. the Bruges beatings that they that they served. I think the 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 away tie in, in Belgium. But I mean, you know, there's there's been a little bit of ridicule and jokes and whatever else about Man City and their history and 
you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, cl- they're club legends. The guys that are given statues are, you know, people that they've signed in the last 10 years, your Vincent Companies and, and David Silvers, and et cetera. But you, you knew that as soon as Phil Foden came out of the academy, you knew that, okay, here we go. He's, he's the first now. And we're going to start to see some, some proper young talents. Uh, yeah, so it, it was a goal off the bench in a 5-1 win against uh, Bruce that he scored. He also scored in a 6-1 win against uh, Wickham, also off the bench uh, in, the, in the League Cup earlier in the season. But he looks a, a massive talent. Uh, again, you, you mentioned mm. you, you're spot on with the, the versatility. Uh, how many players Pep Guardiola's tried up front, I, I don't even know. De Bruyne, Sterling, Jesus... Uh, Bernardo Silva's had a, a bit of time there. Mm. Foden's played there, I think and now Gundogan's Cole Palmer's played, played up there. front in a couple I, of games. I reckon he probably has when he probably hit that purple patch of uh, of goal scoring. Yeah, but a striker at Manchester City yeah. is an in inverted commas because they're uh, so free flowing in terms of For the way sure. they interchange positions. Yeah, so it's but a, it's a different role. A, a major watch this space for Cole Palmer because um, yeah, he looks at all the talent. And, and you have to be pretty good to come through the youth academy at Manchester City. We've got literally all the money in the world, and yet we're going to play you instead of a guy we could spend 50, 60 million pounds on. Absolutely. Uh, Before we go, Nick, I mean, you mentioned Everton. I think it's just like a squad depth there. They've got 12 players that are decent, and when a couple of those are out, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is biggest miss, and I'm not going to pick Mm. Everton for another game, uh, for another win until (laughs) Dominic Calvert-Lewin is back, honestly. He's injured and posing for uh, fashion shoots instead of scoring goals. He was was on... um on the Sunday night football with Carragher the uh, the yeah. other week as well, he's um he seems like a good egg. Having I, a I really time. like. He's, yeah, he seems like a. Uh, if, speaking as a Liverpool fan, um, I I regrettably had to purchase an Everton shirt for my uh, my Premier League kit collection, and <laughs> and and he was the he you had to you forced uh, to I had to I have a Manchester United shirt as well Ooh. a retro with uh, with Van Nistelrooy on the back. Heathen behaviour. From yeah, Liverpool super uh, I, I I don't really wear either of them, but. Um, but it's nice you know, that but, they're but, there. But, and, you, and you went for a DCL? Yes, of course. Uh, I, I did. I, I once signed him for Portsmouth in a, in a FIFA career <laughs> mode, and it's, uh, it's been love at first sight ever since. But, yeah, uh, Everton, you know, the, the sort of magic pixie dust seems to have uh, worn off on uh, Damari Gray and, and Andros Townsend, who both, when they signed them in the summer, I thought, you are kidding me. Bargain bin. You are kidding me. They're signing these players, and they think, you know, they're, they're going to keep Pushing for, for the Europe. only difference between uh, Damari Gray and all their other dud signings in recent years was the price tag. Yeah, usually uh, he would have cost thirty million. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, instead, he was less than a, I think it was seven hundred k or something. Yeah, it was I, I, oh, it was a it was a real or, bargain or, or, deal. Or Maybe it was might two have been million, two yeah two million euros from uh, yeah by Leverkusen, which was sort of bizarre enough. I actually forgot that uh, that he, he was ever there. A uh, few, few the young English players have gone to the Bundesliga recently for mm. minutes and, and come back stronger. But I, I don't know if that that form, as you say, is sustainable. Uh, two, two teams in action uh, in the Champions League tomorrow morning: Man yes. City playing PSG and Liverpool uh, with a less important fixture against Porto. Maybe a chance for some squad rotation there. I am. You do not understand how excited I am for a Takumi Minamino masterclass <laughs> from the start tomorrow morning. I this can't is a guy wait. who I think uh, gets more excited about Liverpool reserves than the first team. <laughs> anyway. I've, I've always said I love the League Cup because the the second string guys get to get a chance to play and uh, and can actually come in. But um, Less exciting when there's an injury crisis at centre-back and you have to watch uh, you know, Nat Phillips every yeah, week. Yeah, let's, uh, let's not go there. But yes... Um, <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, you're right. Two games tomorrow. I'm, you know, City and PSG is a, is a huge That's one. A I, n- n- not only will I be uh, going for PSG because I don't really like Man City, but yeah. I'll be going for PSG to uh, ensure that they top the group. City comes second in the group, which would mean that Liverpool can't be drawn, uh, obviously can't be drawn City in the knockout stages and therefore with PSG being top, they won't be drawn with PSG in the round of 16. I don't really think I explained that very well. No, because <laughs> English teams can't play yeah. each other in the first yeah. knockout round. Yeah. I was just doing the mental gymnastics as to how that possibly works. Yeah. But that, yeah, that is the, that is the better outcome, Correct. isn't it? Um, and the, bef- the marquee game on the weekend, Chelsea-Manchester United. Yeah, there's a, there's a few good ones, but obviously Chelsea-Man United uh, going back to the, the old, uh, what they used to call them, Super Saturday or Super or Grand Slam Sunday, I think they used to call <laughs> it, when uh, you know every season Chelsea-United, Liverpool and City would probably play against each other on, on one given weekend. Um, I don't see that ending well for Carrick, personally. I've, no. We've gone into all the reasons again. We don't need to dive into more Chelsea-Man yeah, United talk. That was half the show. Particularly, but... we're, we're t- talking about Arsenal and, and playing against big teams. You know, United have have folded playing against some of the, the bigger teams this season, smashed by Liverpool, smashed not necessarily on the scoreline by Man City, but certainly on the pitch a couple of weeks mm. ago uh, and will probably be a similar result against Chelsea. Man City-West Ham is a, is a really good game. Look, I think Man City will, will, will still probably win. West Ham had a disappointing defeat to Wolves uh, the weekend just gone, but that will be a, a tasty game to have a look at. Brighton-Leeds all of a sudden becomes a little bit important. Mm. Uh, uh, one that Brighton will really... Hope to win and need to win to um, to regather a bit of momentum. Norwich Wolves that we mentioned uh, as well. And cons- I think Crystal Palace Villa is going to be my my kicking mm. game because I think Chelsea's going to roll United. I think City are kind of hard to watch a little bit, even though they play this totalizing style. Yeah, it feels no, like they're the only team involved in the game, and West Ham are going to sit deep and yeah. and try and pick up the scraps. So I don't think that's going to be a really entertaining game, but I think Aston Villa uh, versus Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park is going to be really uh, entertaining end-to-end match. Mm. Steven Gerrard and, and Patrick Vieira. A, uh, uh, a real throwback Premier League years matchup on yeah, the sideline, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it will be a, will, will be a good one. And um, you know, Gerrard, we, we didn't actually touch on it too much, but of course Gerrard got his first win 2-0 mm-hmm. uh, against Brighton. Uh, on the weekend, it came late to two goals within the last seven or so minutes. Um, but you know, we, we spoke about Crystal Palace last week, the form that they've been in. Gerrard's come in, got his first result with Villa. I think that's that's going to be a really uh, a really big game. They're two two sides that are near enough on the table. Palace in tenth with sixteen points, uh, Villa in fifteenth with goodness me, fifteenth with thirteen points. Uh, will go level. Um, with Palace with a win. And considering we've mentioned about seven of the fixtures, we might as well touch on, or six of the fixtures, we might as well just rattle off the rest. Arsenal hosting Leicester in the early one. Uh, or Of course, early isn't too early in Melbourne anymore uh, because of good old daylight savings. But they play Newcastle at 11.30 on Saturday night. Uh, Liverpool hosts Southampton, which... Um, Liverpool at home against Southampton is... Uh, you expect is, to beat your feeder club, so yeah. <laughs> you can't be losing that one. Very true, but uh, in quite a similar way to Liverpool versus Arsenal at Anfield, Liverpool versus Southampton at Anfield has, has always been uh, typically um, fruitful for the Reds. Uh, Norwich City Wolves, I'm going for a draw. Mm. I think Norwich can, can get a point there. I think it's another win might be stretching the bounds of believability of this for sure. I mean, bounce. But three games unbeaten for Norwich, that'd yeah. be... Ludicrous. Who, who would have thought that could happen? <laughs> what a league. Uh, Crystal Palace Villa, we've talked about. I, yeah. I think it's anyone's game. I, th- I think it's going to be score draw, going 2 2. Mm. Sitting on the fence again, I know. 
Yeah, I wanted to say draw, but now I just feel like I'm copying you. <laughs> um, Go with your gut, yeah, Busy. Yeah, you can draw, agree with me. Draw it's for, fine. Draw for me. Um, Brighton Br- leads. I think Brighton finally ends yep. the. Uh, oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I think they finally score a goal and win a game. I'm saying one nil to Brighton. Yeah. Uh, Brentford Everton. Don't say because I'm saying Brentford. Okay. Although I'll, Brentford themselves, uh, is that two losses in a I'm row? Gonna, I'm going to say that's going to be a stinker. I think that's going to be a, a terrible game. I'm going for nil, nil. Because Rafa Benitez doesn't like to lose several games in a row. He's going to go super conservative, I think. Mm, well, Brentford, uh, another team, seven without a win. Um, you know, Again, granted, a, a draw with And they're, Le- they're with a Liverpool. transitional masterclass lost Brentford team. When they really didn't need to lose or shouldn't have lost to Chelsea. When, but... when a team comes out and plays against yeah. them like Liverpool did, they can smash you with these uh, really direct passes and, yeah. and pacey counterattacks. Um, but when you sit deep, as I think Everton will, because Benitez isn't going to want another loss in a row, that will just increase the pressure on him. I think uh, they can be nullified, so I'm going for a nil-nil draw. Uh, you're, you're picking Brentford. I'm going Brentford for the win. Man City, West Ham. I think it's it's Man City all the way. They're just flying yeah. at the moment, and uh, West Ham can always spring a surprise off a set mm. piece or whatever. But City are just in such a rich goal scoring vein of form. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm going with City as well, but I I can see a scenario where West Ham, you know, w- with your four nails, your Antonio, your uh, your Bowen sort of three prong counter attack. Um, perhaps they can cause a bit of trouble, but I think City should uh, should have that pretty comfortably. The Tinker Man returns to the King Power. Oh yes, I didn't even think I about d- that. I, I, I only just realised that as, uh, when I looked at, uh, uh, at at Leicester and Watford. Are they the... going to sing Ness and Dorma for him again? I hope so. Get uh, <laughs> get Andrea Bocelli down. That'd be uh, that'd be fantastic. I mean, Dilly Ding Dilly Dong, or are Watford going to continue their uh, their streak? Well. well after dispatching Manchester United quite Fanta- simply. Fantastic form. That's, um, you know, and nine goals in two games as well. I'm going to say the, this is the Leicester City bounce win. back game. I'm going to go with a draw. I think Watford are, um, are clearly on a, on a high at the moment. Um, well, you would say that, not, you know, you've yeah. got a moose on your chest. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, maybe, it'll, uh, maybe it'll be two moose one one day <laughs> now that we've uh, learnt the, the plural for, for moose. Uh, my, my rationale for that, Watford uh, looked good against Manchester United, but everybody looks good against Manchester United. <laughs> so Leicester City, uh, you, you see Leicester looked amazing against United, dropped off straight afterwards. So. Well, Le- Leicester beat United 4-2, Watford beat United 4-1, so mm. very uh, very similar results. I, we'll I honestly think beating United is the kiss of death for your <laughs> fortunes, um, you know, because they, they make anybody look like world beaters. Burnley, <laughs> Tottenham, I think, should be a, a comfortable uh, well, not a comfortable one. It's at Burnley, mm. uh, but I think it could be a could be a one niller for, uh, for yeah. Antonio Conte there. Yeah, I think uh, I think Tottenham should be should be right. Um, this fixture happened a couple of weeks ago, I think, in the League Cup, and and Tottenham really laboured through it. They won in the end. One of them got to penalties. Um, Don't think it's going to be one to get up for at one in the no, morning. To be honest, I think uh, not. all eyes will be fixed on uh, Super Sunday at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, where Chelsea. Going to rip through United uh, like tissue paper, and it's going to be. Uh, I'll, I'll go three uh, 0 and be conservative. <laughs> well, what were you going to say? I was going to say four. <laughs> I think three 0 Yeah, three-nil. I think I think United. Oh no, I was going to say I think United might score, but given the fact that we've just pumped up Chelsea's defence, <laughs> I, 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 I won't contradict a major portion of, of our show. Um, yeah, I think Chelsea will uh, will have a fair hands on Manchester United there. Uh, well, that'll do us. We've gone overtime again. Um, 
as lots to talk about this week. Yeah, plenty. If plenty you get to talk me about. ranting about OGS and Man United, we're going to be here all night. <laughs> yeah, and, warn you. and whenever Liverpool win four 0 in a big game, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, easy to n- wax n- lyrical. N- never, never a good setup uh, between the two of us. But uh, the but uh, equipment has been running for too long. It's getting sweaty in here, so we better yes. bid you adieu. Oh, it is. It is very, very dewy in here. <laughs> it's uh, it's time to open the door and let some air in. Thank you very much for tuning into the EPL show on FNR. Football Nation Radio will be back next week uh, with some more Champions League, some more Premier League to dissect. And uh, very much looking forward to it, Josh. Thank you for your company as well. And we'll catch you all next week. Goodbye for now.